0: This content is suitable for curious and objective listeners and viewers only. User discretion is advised. You know they say if you don't know where you come from, you don't know where you go. going. <laughs> yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. And welcome back to The Credentials, where we provide thought-provoking content in the form of information and inspiration. I'm your host, Charles, and today we have a awesome episode of the credentials as we are now into our agent edition (laughs) (laughs) and our agent edition is over the next two months we are basically going to be breaking down key terms key concepts of what it takes to be a NFL agent (laughs) Yes, National Football League agent. (laughs) Now, you may be thinking to yourself, why, why are we doing the agent edition where we're learning about NFL agent key concepts and key terms? Hmm. Hmm. Well, let me answer that for you. Well, it's because I'm actually studying right now to become an NFL agent. (laughs) And since I'm the host, producer, and creator of the show, that means I can dictate how the show goes and what theme and direction we're going. (laughs) So... Since I have that power and that leverage, I'm going to use the credential show as a way to hold myself accountable, a way to teach and understand these concepts, uh, teach them to myself and basically relay these concepts in a way that if I can break it down for the audience and make it something, oh, okay. That makes sense. Or, oh, now I understand that. Then I think that one you know, provides the listener with a unique listening experience in terms of learning more about NFL player contracts and what they go through. But also it's a way that I can focus in on this test and make sure that I pass it <laughs> and I get licensed. And I can keep pursuing my goals and my dreams. So, with all that being said, yesterday, or every Tuesday, I should say, at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I have a course and our professor gives us questions that pertain to certain parts or certain sections of the collecting bargaining agreement of the NFL that he wants us to understand and then he asks questions and we answer them in class and then he breaks down the why behind these questions because that's very important, you know. Obviously, these are just practice questions, but the goal of them is to simulate what a test question would feel like. So, let's get down to the mean potatoes, right? So, one question was, uh, a lot of times you see in football, there's something called the franchise tag. And the franchise tag, there's two forms. There's a non-exclusive franchise tag, and then there's an exclusive franchise tag. So, the way the tag works, if the team places the tag on the player, if they apply the non-exclusive franchise tag, that means once that tender is offered to the player, if it's non-exclusive, as long as the player doesn't sign the tender, he's allowed to receive offers from other teams up until the 10th week of the regular season which is generally around like November late November mid to late November now as soon as he signs that tender he can only negotiate with the the team that offer the tender to the player now there's a period in when the teams can offer this tender. It's, ge- it's generally between March and April. There's specific dates in March and April when that tender is allowed to be offered to the player. Now, if the player signs an exclusive tender or the team offers an exclusive tender, when they offer that, that means no matter what, That player cannot negotiate, or that player's agent cannot negotiate with any other teams except the team that offered the exclusive tender. An example of that would be America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. So the Dallas Cowboys, they offered Dak Prescott, the quarterback, an exclusive franchise tag last year. That's what he played on. So that means throughout the season, or that means once they offer that tag, they can only, Dak Prescott could only negotiate with the Cowboys. Now, what's interesting about the franchise tag is what they do is how they, what it means is, in terms of salary, it's fully guaranteed, Once it's signed, it's fully guaranteed. That means, because there's three types of guarantees in an NFL player's contract. A lot of times you hear contracts aren't guaranteed, right? Well, yes and no. There is guaranteed money, or or the contracts aren't fully guaranteed. So there is fully guaranteed money in the contract. It's just not the entire contract. So there's three ways a contract becomes guaranteed. It has a salary cap guarantee, which means if the team cuts the player because they want to get below the salary cap threshold, that means he still gets paid. There is an injury guarantee, which means if the player gets injured while playing a game or on the team facility or in the team facility, and he gets cut because he's injured. He still gets paid. And then there's a skill. Guarantee. Which means that if the team decides. If he has his guarantee and the, and the team decides to cut him. Because they feel like his skill isn't adequate as to where it once was. Then he still gets paid. So in order for a contract to be fully guaranteed in the NFL. He needs to have a skill guarantee, a injury guarantee, and a cap guarantee. Ah, right. It's a little. It's a lot. It's a lot to 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 take in. So, in the question for our homework, it said, if a wide receiver signs a non-exclusive franchise tag or gets offered, tendered, a non-franchise, a non-exclusive franchise tag, and signs with another team, what happens? Well, what happens is, if that player signs with another team, then the team that had his rights, per se, they have two options. They can either, one, not, not, uh, match the offer, and instead, with a franchise tag, they get two first-round picks guaranteed to them. Or they can say, nope, we're going to rip up that offer sheet by the other team, and we're going to exercise our right of first refusal, and we are going to instead match that offer, and now they retain that player's services. So that is what you got to know about the franchise tag. And if I didn't mention it, the franchise tag, which I I think I did it, it's an an average of the top five salaries at the position that you're playing. So, for instance, for a wide receiver, it would be the top five – franchise tag salaries and then well so to get the number let me let me reverse reverse okay so the franchise tag right it's the it average of the top 5 salaries for players at the position how they get that number though is they add up the last franchise the last five franchise tech numbers so let's say it's like 15 million 14.9 million 15 point5 million 16 million 60 million right they add those numbers up they get the sum and then they take that number and they divide it by the total of the salary caps for those same five years so the salary cap would be like 200 million 190 million. 195 million so on and so forth right so they divided by that number so they get that that total from the sum of the franchise tag numbers divided by the sum of the salary cap numbers and then they multiply that number that decimal by the salary cap number for the upcoming year so for 2021 the salary cap number is 182.5 million So you get that ever whatever decimal point that is, and you multiply it by the salary cap, which is 182.5 million, and then that's how you get the franchise tag number for each respective position. Now there's a special clause in the franchise tag where if you get tagged for the third time, three years in a row, then You get the average of the top five salaries for the highest paid position. Now, in football, that's generally the quarterback. So, let's say you're the kicker, right? Which is crazy to think. But if you're the kicker and you get franchise tag for the third time in a row, you could potentially be getting the salary of... A quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be dope, right? <laughs> if I'm a kicker, and all of a sudden, because kickers usually make one to three million, and then if some team was just ran poorly, and they said, "We're gonna keep franchise tagging," you know, all of a sudden you have a twenty-five to thirty million dollars salary for one year. God's plan, right? So another cool concept that I learned is credited season versus accrued season. (laughs) So basically in the NFL, based on the number of games you play as a player or the number of games you don't play as a player, that allows you to either get or not get an accrued or credited season. Now, you may be wondering, what's the difference between an accrued and credited season? Hmm. 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 So I'll tell you. So an accrued season is basically only to establish... Free agency rights So what do I mean by that So in order to get an accrued season An NFL player has to be On the NFL roster And paid For six or more games In that season However that includes If he's on Injury reserve or he gets an injury settlement. So if he gets a season-ending injury in preseason, they keep him on IR for the whole season, then he gets an accrued season. And if he's on IR or injury settlement and he's paid as if he was on the roster, then he gets an accrued season. Now, accrued seasons matter because once you get four accrued seasons, then you're allowed to be an unrestricted free agent. If you have three accrued seasons, then you're allowed to be a restricted free agent. And now, if you have anything under three accrued seasons, then you are basically an exclusive rights player who can become a restricted free agent. So what do I mean by that? An exclusive rights player is basically a player that if the team decides to offer him a tender, and tender like I said uh for the franchise tag, that's something very common in the NFL. They have a lot of tenders and no, not the dating app. <laughs> <laughs> So, when you a player gets an exclusive rights tender, that's basically an offer of the minimum salary for their number of credited seasons, and I'll tell you what credited seasons mean in a bit. So, they are getting a minimum offer for the based on the number of credited seasons that they have and once the team basically uses that tender then there are the players on lockdown now if the team doesn't use the tender then that player can become a restricted free agent which means that the team has an opportunity to match what another team would offer now for credited seasons right now credited seasons are there's two types There's credited seasons that give you an increase in the minimum salary a team can give you. And then there's credited seasons that allow you access to the benefits of being an NFL player, such as access to pension plans access to injury benefits and access to uh, player benefits. Like there's something called the accumulation plan, which is there's different type of investing options for NFL players, actually, that they only have the right to take advantage of if they get these credited seasons. Now, what's interesting is credited season is you need to be There's two types, right? So, if you're on the active 53-man roster, because there's a 53-man roster that teams are allowed to have on game day, and then they're also allowed to have two players from their practice squad get called up on game day. Now, generally speaking, though, 47 to 48 guys are on the active game day roster. So, generally speaking, on a game day, there's 47 to 48 players active, but there can be up to 53 guys on the roster. Um, actually, up to 55 if you include the Plactor Scott players that can be active. But generally speaking, it's 47 to 48. Now, for the increase in minimum salary for a player, you need to have three act, three games on the active 53-man roster to get that boost in minimum salary. Now, let's say you're in the injured reserve, Right? And how I said you can get an accrued season. in this scenario for accredited season, if you're in the injury reserve, you wouldn't get the minimum salary boost, but you could get an injury benefits only credit for comp for credited seasons, which means you wouldn't get the salary boost, like I said, but you would get credit for access to the pension plan and the injury benefits and some of the investing benefits. So why does the NFL do it that way? Who knows? But I can tell you that, as you can see how tricky of a situation that it is, it's pretty sad for the players. Aww. (laughs) Right? But as they say in uh, business, you get what you negotiate for. So that is... The sad reality of the situation. Now, moving right along. We also learned this week the rookie pool. So you may be wondering, right? The NFL draft just happened. uh, Players got signed. And you may be wondering, well, how do they calculate how much to give these guys since the NFL has slotted salaries for their players. For the rookie players, I should say. Well, let me tell you. So what happens is, the NFL and the NFLPA have created a formula where they basically give each draft pick in each round... Well, let me say this. For the first... Three rounds. Each draft pick of each round has a specific rookie pool number, which is essentially your salary cap number that is assigned based on the round and the draft pick for the first three rounds. From rounds four through seven, the way it goes is – the player's contract is basically a 4 year deal with the salaries each year being the minimum base salary allowed based on the number of credited seasons so for instance in the 4th round in the 4th 4th round pick his rookie year salary would be the minimum salary for a player with zero credited seasons is how they word it. So, in this case, it would be 660000 So, that's how much a rookie makes in the NFL this year, $660,000. Now, in the second year, he would get the minimum salary for a player with one credited season. It wouldn't go to two, so they go zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, so on and so forth in the NFL. The way they, zero would stand for rookie. So the second year of his deal, it would be the minimum base salary for a player with one credited season. And then the third year would be the minimum salary for a player with two credited seasons. A little tricky, but I think that makes sense. So that's players four through seven. Now, like I said, rounds one through three, they come up with this formula and they give you, they give each each pick a specific cap number. So let's say the first pick, the first the first round pick, number thirty-two overall, right? Let's say he has a uh, a five million dollar rookie pool number, right? And then our question was, how do you, what would be his 2022 base salary? So how we get that is. First, you have to figure out the 25% increase rule. So what that is, is in a rookie contract. The. Salary cap number. And the salary cap number is basically how much it costs the team for that year of the deal. So in a rookie contract, there's a paragraph five or a base salary. There's a signing bonus. And the signing bonus gets prorated. So that means they get a lump sum payment. However, for the contract, it looks as if it's split over four years instead of one year. So for instance, let's say a player has a twelve million dollar signing bonus, it wouldn't say and he, as a rookie like as a rookie he signs a twelve million dollar signing bonus, right? This thirty second pick, right? He has a twelve million dollar signing bonus. It's not year one Base salary and $12 million signing bonus. Instead, it would be base salary and $3 million signing bonus for year one. And then year two would be $3 million signing bonus. Year three, $3 million signing bonus. Year four, $3 million signing bonus, which gets you the $12 million. But it gets shown. That's how it gets shown. But in actuality, it was paid out in one lump sum. So in NFL contracts, it's interesting that, like I said, they do it for salary cap reasons to stay within the cap. They'll prorate the contract. So in that salary cap number, like I said, you get the signing bonus is prorated, the base salary, and then whatever bonuses you have or you don't have in your contract, and the bonuses they can have are an option bonus. They can have a roster bonus they can have a reporting bonus Well, actually they can't have an option bonus in a rookie contract but they have a fifth year option for first round picks complicated but not really so they can have a roster bonus they can have a reporting bonus and then they can have a workout bonus now reporting bonus basically mean you get a bonus as soon as you report to training camp. A roster bonus is if you're on the roster at a specific time, then you get this bonus. And then a workout bonus is generally before training camp, there's like mini camp, right? Or organized team activities. And that's when if, if you have a workout bonus in your class, as long as you show up to one of the Whichever one of the events you decide to have the bonus in, you get that bonus as soon as you report for that organized team activity or you report to that mini camp. So, I say all that to say, going back to the question, right? A $5 million rookie pool number, what's the 2022 base salary? So, first you figure out the 25% increase rule, which basically means the salary cap number, as I said can only go up 25% each year. Now, it could it could go past the 25% rule if the player in his first year has a minimum base salary or has a base salary of the minimum for their number of credited seasons. So for a rookie deal in this situation, the 32nd pick could have a bigger disparity in salary cap hit of over 25% if in his rookie year, he takes that $660,000, which for first round picks, well, generally for all rookies, that's what they do. They take that minimum Rookie based salary in that first year in that rookie year, I should say in year zero so that in years Two three four If they wanted to or if the team wanted to they could increase that salary cap uh, Number above the 25% threshold So let's say in this case, situation. They don't right so with the five million dollar rookie pool number you do five million times twenty-five percent, which would give you one million two hundred and fifty thousand. So that means in year zero, he has a five million dollar rookie pool number. In year two, he would have a six million two hundred and fifty thousand dollar rookie pool. A Rookie pool number Which would be a salary cap hit So that means In year 2 Between P5 Which is your base Between signing bonus And all the other bonuses That total number Has to be $6,250,000 Now Once you know that For 2022 In order to get the signing bonus proration, what you would do is you take that five million dollars and you subtract it by the minimum rookie salary for that given for that given year. So in twenty twenty one not for that given year, but for the given year of that when that rookie is drafted. So in 2021 it's 660,000. So just to clear that up, you take the rookie pool number and then you minus that rookie pool number by the minimum salary for the year that rookie is drafted. The rookie minimum salary for the year that rookie is drafted. So he's drafted in 2021. So you do 5 million minus 660,000 and then you get 4 million. 340,000, and that would be your signing bonus per ration. So that means if you just multiply 4,340,000 times 4, then you would know how much signing bonus that player is entitled to for their contract. Now, To get back to the question, what's the 2022 base salary, what you would do is quite easy. What you would do is simply take the rookie pool number, the salary cap number, the five, I mean, the, the rookie pool number for that 2022 year. This is where it gets a little tricky, I guess. Now, because they get the base salary for 2022, you take the salary cap number or the rookie pool number for that year, which would be the 6.25, 6,250,000, which we got when we did 5 times 0.25, and then you add it times, and then you add the 5 million back to it, which is a 6.25, and then you subtract that by 4 million, 340,000 which is the salary bonus peration and then that gives you 1,910,000 and that would be the base salary for that player in the 2022 year now hopefully that was sensible. And if you want a abbreviated version of what I just said, instead of the long-winded explanation, you basically do the salary cap number for the given year minus the signing bonus proration equals base salary for that given year so if I wanted to do the 2021 base salary I would just do five million minus four hundred and thirty four thousand three hundred and forty thousand I should say if I wanted the the third year right I would do 6.25 plus 1.25 because remember it's a 25% increase based on the salary uh, based on the pool number so it's always 1.25 that's how much it increase every year right so I would do 6.25 plus 1.25 which would be what 7.50 and then you subtract that by the 4,340,000 and then that would give you the base salary 2023 so as agents that's how these rookie contracts or so now if as a fan if you wanted to know that's how these rookie contracts that's how they're calculated it's, it's pretty straightforward once as an agent you get the rookie pool slotted numbers then you just apply the calculations and the contracts are pretty much broiler plate or, or standard as it as they say right and like I said I, I just share with you how to get how to get the signing bonus and the base salary so obviously when as agents you sign rookies it's important to know how to get the deal done <laughs> now with rookie contracts it's interesting going back to the Fully guaranteed, not guaranteed, right? So like they say, football contracts are are not fully guaranteed. Well, interesting enough, with first round draft picks though, since they've come up with this new scaled salary as a way to avoid playing avoid paying rookies 50 to 100 million on their rookie year deal. They scaled it back. So now, generally speaking, the first top five, instead of making 50 to 100 million, now they're making anywhere from 25 to 35 million. What they did is they make those contracts fully guaranteed for skill, injury, and cap, as I was talking about earlier. And what that allows the team to do. What that allows the player to do is have a fully guaranteed deal. And also for the team, it locks the player in for the next four years. And then what happens is the fifth year is an option year. And that option year actually has to be exercised by the team In the player's third year offseason. So what happens is that fifth year option. The team has a window between March to like May, early May to exercise the fifth year option after the player's third year. Now, what happens is if the pl- if the team doesn't exercise that option, then after the fourth year, the player becomes an unrestricted free agent. Now, if the team exercises the option, that means the player then becomes back on the contract <laughs> uh, like he was. And then the fifth-year option... Is fully guaranteed. So it's kind of like the franchise tag. and In that it's fully guaranteed. For skill injury cap at signing. But also. The salary is based. On. Performance and accolades. Or actually playing time. And accolades. So for instance. Depending on the percentage of snaps that a player has played over his first 3 years or the number of snaps plus the number of pro bowls plus, plus the number of pro bowls determines what what type of base salary the player can get because it's either off the franchise tag scale Or the transition tag scale. So the transition tag is generally, instead of the average of the top five salaries, it's the average of the top ten salaries. However, with rookies, the transition tag can go anywhere from the top ten salaries to salaries three to twelve or salaries twelve to twenty-five. And basically, the player gets into a slot based on the percentage of snaps played. Generally speaking, 50 to 75. Plus, if they make or they don't make a Pro Bowl, that determines how much their salary is on that fifth-year option. Now... For players not in the first round, they don't have that fifth year option on their deal. Their deal is a four year deal. And what happens is on that fourth year, they have the same they have the same opportunity to get a bump in their pay that first round picks have, but instead of counting on the fifth year, it counts on the fourth year. And they have something called Proven Escalators, which basically means, similar to what I was saying, in terms of the fifth-year option, based on the number of snaps, percentage of snaps that you play, plus your accolades, determines how much of an increase in pay a player would be in line for. Now, with the second through... Seventh round picks with a proven escalator, you're not gonna get franchise transition tag, nothing like that. Generally speaking, it's about a one to three million dollar raise. And to me, that is definitely a win. Right. I would take a one to three million dollar raise, based on my performance, even though I know others are getting more. That's why they say run your own race. Right. Be aware, but don't compare because that's very important. Everyone. Your situation determines your choices and your options that you have. <laughs> you know, it, it. you're wasting energy. Comparing and being salty or jealous at a first round pick for having these options when you're a fifth round pick. You know, because you might be salty, oh man, they get a fifth year option at this. But the fifth year, the fifth round pick, if they ball out, they get to hit free agency instead of having to be under contract with an option clause that stops the player from getting free agency. You know, so there's pros and cons to everything. Everything's a blessing. It all depends on how you see it. Let's see here, and I'll give you a couple more concepts. That's let's see, if i can give you a couple more concepts that um I learned about that I want to share. All right, so couple more is that since we're on rookies this week a rookie is allowed to renegotiate their contract after the last regular season game in your third year so as you can see there's a theme right after your third year teams are allowed to basically make moves and evaluate okay what's what's popping with this player is this a player that we have in our plans for the long term? Is this a player that we need to move on from? Is this a player that we're not sure of and we need to see more? Or is this a player that we need to lock up now before the price gets even higher and get them technically for a little bit cheaper than we would if we waited a year? So as you can see in the NFL, after three years, and this is generally how sports goes after three years, you get to see what's good and not see what's not good and then from there, the team has the ability to to make moves and, and make decisions and and uh act accordingly so that's like the 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 hidden thing about these contracts is you know they're all essentially two and three year deals no matter if they say. Four 5 years, 10 years, 7 years You know, they're all essentially 2 to 3 year deals That Give the team the flexibility And and the option to, to move on If They feel like It makes sense to move on And Let's see what else. What else is. Interesting. Okay. Last. Last little concept I'll share is. uh, When a player retires. So what's interesting is. When a player retires. They actually could be. held liable in a sense in terms of the team could actually go after bonus money that they awarded the player if the player decides, I want to retire. So, for instance, let's say a player decides, let's say in a player's contract, They have a $5 million signing bonus, roster bonus for being on the roster March 18th of 2019. Let's say this is 2019. He has a March 18th roster bonus for $5 million. Let's say in June, let's say June 5th, the player is like, you know what? I'm going through training camp. This ain't it. I'm tired. I'm sick. <sighs> I'm, I'm 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 done. I'm done with looking at these plays. I'm i, I flushed my playbook in the toilet. I'm tired. So what the team can do is say, "You know what? We actually want our 5 million dollars back." Because you're qu- you're quitting on us. And we want it back. Now this is also too. Which is tricky about it. This is also too. If you have this negotiated. In your contract. Forfeitures. Of salary. Of bonus money. Is only in your contract. If you know, if it's negotiated in there. Now. I also say that too. Because most of the time. Most of the time. It is negotiating your contract. Um. Whether you know it or not. (laughs) And it takes a dedicated or intentional or very leveraged agent to weave that out your contract. But generally speaking, it's in there. So, like I said, March 18th, you get the $5 million. June 5th, you decide to retire june 6th the team could be like yeah we want that money back and then what also happens too is if you're like nah i don't want to give it back to you they could actually send you to arbitration and they could be like yeah um and then the arbitrator decides who's right and who's wrong now This is all up to the team's discretion, too. Even if the forfeiture is in the contract, it's still up to the team to decide if they want to take action on that. Now, here's the interesting part with these bonuses, right? So, with a roster bonus, with a reporting bonus, with a workout bonus, with an option bonus, they can only recoup that money if that money was earned in that year. So 2019, it was earned. 2019, they can go after it. So in my same example, let's say this player decides to retire in March. No, in, in, uh, in June of 2020, right? The team can't go and say, hey, from last year, we want that five million. Even if that five million, let's say you prorated that five million, because you're allowed to prorate bonuses outside of the signing bonus and the option bonus, if it's fully guaranteed. So even if that that bonus was fully guaranteed, right? And they and they prorated it, so they made it appear on the contract for three years instead of one year even if they did that since the money's not being earned it's just being on the cap for it's just on the books for salary cap purposes then the team can't go back and get that money now the team can get future years Right, so they can get future years on only the signing bonus money. So for instance, if the player signed a four-year deal with a $16 million signing bonus, and after the second year of the deal, the player decides to retire complete the season and before the third season he decides to retire, then the team could technically go and try to recoup the $8 million in signing bonus left on the player's contract. Very savage. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, that happens. That happens. Even for Hall of Flame players. That has happened before. So. And a lot of this. Has to do with. With the timing. You know and you may be thinking about like. So why do these. Why do these contracts have these. Bonuses. And things of that nature right. So basically these bonuses are just. Ways. To. Spread out. The salary cap hit for the team and a way because let's say a team could pay a player 40 million dollars in a year but on the books it's going to look like 15 million in that year and then the rest of that 25 is going to be spread out in various ways of the contract or it can be spread out in various ways of the contract. So another reason why these these bonuses happen too is... They happen as a way for... the The player... To have a clear understanding of where he stays with the team. So for instance, a lot of times these roster bonuses... Are in the beginning of the league year. That way. The player knows where he stands with the team. Because. If. The team doesn't want to give the player the roster bonus. That means they're going to cut him. Which then allows that player. To hit. Free agency. And have a chance to sign. A lucrative deal. Or just sign a deal in general. With another team. As. Soon as free agency starts, instead of if you have these roster these these bonuses and you know the latter half of the league year, let's say uh, July or August, then the team probably still not gonna want you, and then now you ruined an opportunity to hit the free agency market and get those dollars, and now you're fighting for scraps or you have to gonna you're gonna you're gonna have to take a pay cut, you know, and just play and rebuild your value from scratch because you have no leverage because the season's about to start. And teams cap numbers are pretty much set. However, it is the NFL, so they can always cut a player here <laughs> Restructure a contract there and make it work. Because another thing that's interesting that I just learned is the NFL doesn't have penalties for their for going past the salary cap threshold. So that means there is no like how in the NBA you hear luxury tax, or in baseball you hear luxury tax, or in soccer you hear a spending tax. There is no such thing of that in the NFL. They're just really strict on, and they have really strict orders from their owners. Hey, don't play with don't play with it. Stay in that line, and that's just how they they do business. It's for profit at the end of the day, you know. And when you're trying to make a profit, you want to keep your expenses as low as possible. So, it was just ah interesting. To, uh, to find that out. So even though there's a cap, the teams could always go over it if they wanted to. But obviously, they choose not to. However, with that being said, there is something to be aware of is that teams have to spend at least 90% of their cap in cash every year or for every three years and then at the end of those 3 years the total the league has to spend is 95% of the cash so for instance if the cap is 182.5 million that means in this 3 year cycle the team has to sp- teams have to spend at least 90% of that 182.5 million And then over a three-year average, teams, the NFL teams, have to spend 95%. So that means some years, as long as some years where a team is paying 90, another team is spending 100 of it, right, then they're cool as far as the league goes. Now, once it becomes the end of the 3 year cycle and and they do the calculations and they see oh not 95% of the salary cap was spent then the teams have to give out the remaining percentage difference and split that among the players in their team so for instance let's say they're not at the the threshold gold and there's $50 million left over, then you do the $50 million divided by 32, and then you do, because that's the number of teams in the league, and then you would do whatever millions that is per team, then you do divide that by the 53-man roster. And then that's how much each player would get For being on the roster and for the team the league not hitting that 95% threshold So with that being said That will be the end Of the credentials NFL agent edition Episode one It's going to be a mini series because I take the test in August So this will be a Fun little mini-series to learn about what I'm learning and get a little inside information on NFL contracts, NFL terms, and uh, why your favorite NFL team does what it does. So, with that being said, this has been another edition of the Credentials. Like I said, our goal is to provide thought-provoking enter- entertainment, thought-provoking content in the form of information and inspiration. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it. Please ask me questions if you want to learn more. And Please give your feedback as to what's good, what's not good, and, and what could be better. Tune in to next week for the Credentials Agent Edition, Episode 2, Volume 2, whatever you want to call it. Peace. Generational Sports Partnerships and Productions appreciates you viewing and or listening to this original content series. Let this empower you towards positive action. Now let's be great.